Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to another edition of the Ninth State Sports Show. With you, as always, this is Joe Marcellina, and joining me for the final lacrosse show, uh, Dairy Field head coach uh, Chris Hetler, fresh off his uh, second straight uh, Division II championship with the Cougars. Uh, happened last Saturday, and that's what we're doing today. We're going to wrap up the lacrosse season, talk about all three championship games, uh, you know, and, and kind of say farewell for to the 2016-17 high school year. It uh, almost feels kind of hard to believe that, you know, it kind of went by, but then on the other hand, uh, it's kind of one of those, wow, it's taken a long time to get here. It did take a long time, and uh, it's good to be back. I'm feeling feeling a little lighter, feeling shoulders are feeling a little lighter, but maybe maybe not for the reason you expect. I'm, I'm wearing shorts, actually, for the first time all season. The the, the pants have been retired. Thank, uh, thank God. Thank God, right? Yeah. Yeah, the kids the kids are going to sign them. We're going to put them in a frame, and they're going out on top. So the pants are retired, and the, the sh it's summer, so we're going shorts now. You you might have been the only coach, I think, I saw <laughs> from between the lacrosse games, boys and girls, this is the baseball on uh, on Monday, which I was surprised by the baseball coaches not wanting to get a Gatorade bath on a 90-degree on a day. You might have been the only coach, I think, that enjoyed the Gatorade shower, the water water shower, because you were in those pants, because of how hot it was it during that game. It felt amazing. It felt really good. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, you know, we looking at last weekend, we had in Division Three Hopkinton uh, coming out with a win over Kearsarge to win the G3 title, go undefeated. Kind of uh, what we thought. Kind of what we yeah, thought we yeah. was going to happen at the beginning of the season. What so. we talked about, yeah, and, and even at certain points, you know, we, we looked at uh, – you know, and let's let's just jump right into that game. You know, we looked at you know they played uh, each other twice during the season. Uh, a little bit of an oddity, I guess. Um, even in Division Three, where there's less teams, you play some teams more regionally. But there's not a lot of you know teams doubling up like that. And we had two different games to go off of. One that Hopkinton do Hopkinton dominated early in the year, and then what I actually and found out on Saturday was an overtime game uh, that Kearsarge led seven to four and then lost eight seven. Uh, you know, later on in the season. So kind of what kind of game were we going to get Saturday, I think, was what was on a lot of people's minds. And I think they got a really fun game, a really kind of like what a championship game should be, you know, back and forth shootout. Uh, you know, hats off to Coach Deacon Blue, who, who made great adjustments and, and got his guys ready to play. Um, you know, just thrilled for Deacon. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> God, I don't feel that old, but, man, I remember coaching against him when he was at Hopkinton and, you know, played for the Tomahawks and just uh, a tremendous kid and now a tremendous coach and has taken Hopkinton to the top. Um, just a, a great, great season. Um, you know, but more than that, I think it was, a, it was a great D3 game and just, you know, you got to see the two teams playing at their best back and forth, high-powered offenses going at each other. And um, at times, you know, even at the end of the game, they were still pushing. They weren't. They weren't playing stall ball. They weren't. They weren't trying. They were attacking the net the whole game. Right. Yeah. It was. Um, you know, Hopkinton got off to that fast start. I think they led four nothing. Um, I want to say six one at one point. Uh, you know, and it. It was one of those. It was like it felt like a comfortable lead, but if still hanging a around break a here or bit. there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And um, you know, uh, Kearsarge's uh, Zach Matthews said after the game. At halftime, you know, he told his guys, "We're still in this, but we're going to have to play yeah. pretty much perfect lacrosse the rest of the way." And they played a really great third quarter, but it it wasn't perfect. And I remember thinking that as I'm watching, you know, they had opportunities, and then they'd come down, and uh, you know, pass would bounce out of some somebody's stick, or it yeah. would just get dropped. 
and it, it was just a little bit of that where they just couldn't they had like they had to be perfect and they weren't uh but they still had a chance and, and you're right hopkinton did continue to put the the foot down on the gas um you know every chance they got they got out in transition they just couldn't get it that goal to put it away until late. Yeah, I was really impressed all season long with the kid, Joe Cullen, uh, the senior attackman for Hopkinton. Um, just a tremendous season, and I think his leadership and, and goal-scoring ability really really propelled Hopkinton this season. On the flip side of that, you know, I, I thought um, – I was worried coming in for Kearsarge that, that, you know, with their goaltending situation and other things that – Maybe they just weren't going to be able to get there. But I, uh, tremendous hats off to Justin Norris and the job that he did rallying his kid, rallying his team and getting them to play at a high level and getting to that championship game and nearly willed them, willed them to, a, uh, to, to a win. You know, you mentioned um, Cullinan, who was the, the D3 offensive player of the yep. year. Uh, you know, really, if you look at what – I mean, he had only one goal in that game um, Saturday, but – did a lot Opened to kind of an yeah, awful lot exactly. for his teammates, you know, and that's where you can't really judge the offensive player of the year based on one game. I mean, Kearsarge isn't stupid; they're going to have a game plan coming in to try and shut that kid down. But the ball was still in his stick an awful lot, and when he drew, when he went to the cage, he opened things up for for an awful lot of other guys um, in that game. And they, of course, they got a big game um, from their face-off guy, whose name I'm going to butcher, Henry. Henry Yanakopoulos, I believe, as I say say that, Um, who, you know, actually was kind of a really, and I'm forgetting it because it was the first, you know, 10 seconds of the game. He, um, I don't remember what Kearsarge was called for, but they were called for something on the opening faceoff. Hopkinton gets it. I don't think he realized that he got it because he just kind of stood there for a second, you know, as they were blowing the whistle. Scooped up the ball and was almost Six like no one. Later, I mean, and it's no in, one. Yeah, and it's one nothing. It's like they forgot yeah. he had the ball and he just came right down and scored off that opening. You know, and it really, really, I thought that set the tone. You know, it's a, um, it's not unprecedented. I remember we were playing uh, Pelham in 2012, and the same thing kind of happened to us. We were unfortunately on the other end of it, where, you know, we had a faceoff violation. The kid picks up the ball. Neither neither guy's communicating well, and all of a sudden the faceoff guy realizes nobody's playing me and goes right in and scores and that can be a big you know in a game like that it can be a big momentum boost to the other team and sets the tone early and sort of gets them to take a deep breath and then all the other team then the other teams left looking at each other like oh man did we really just do that so that's a tough that's a tough thing to overcome um early in the game like that um but it just showed coach blue had it had his guys ready to play right from the beginning now of course the thing everyone wants to know as soon as you win that that championship i'm sure you're familiar with is are you going to come back and do it again next year uh, and of course, Hopkinton loses some very talented kids uh, from this year's team. I, I don't remember exactly how many seniors they had, but it felt like some some key seniors and some some big spots. But of course, they had a, a number of, of underclassmen too that I believe are coming back, um, including um, it Jerry Donahue, the, the uh, who was the division defensive player of the year, I believe is just a junior. They do they do have a strong group coming back. Uh, this group, though, the seniors that are graduating, have been in a long time. I think. You know, Hopkinton kind of had their th- finger on this, saying we're going to bring this group through, and this should be the group that that can get us to that championship game again. Um, a youth coach, Coach Mousseau, who had who had his son Bennett play in the program, who went on to play in college, you know, kind of said we played them back in 2013 when they lost to us, and kind of said, you know what, I think I want to get another group through here, try and get, try and get the, another group, get Hopkinton back to the championship, and that's that group, that's the group that's sort of come up through the youth, and um, you know, so. 
just a, a great, great four years of, of building over that time. And I, I think they do. I think they have a core group now. And with their youth program, Coach Blue is a young, energetic coach. I, I, I would expect Hoppington to be battling back there again next year. And he mentioned after the game that that was the group. This, this year's uh, juniors and seniors were the ones that when he came back to Hopkinton yep. and started coaching, that they were, you know, he was their seventh and eighth grade coach and kind of moved up along with them. Uh, you know, so it's always interesting to, to when you hear about where a guy started and kind of what, what that first group is. And, and it's also kind of interesting, too, to see what happens after that group's gone, too, you know, because it, you, you messes with, I think, your comfort zone a little bit as a, as a coach, I would imagine, uh, just because the kids that you're used to having there are, are, are not there anymore. You do, but the other, the other effect of that is now the town's energized, the youth program's energized, and, and the kids below have seen what it takes to win a championship, and that trickles down throughout your program. And as long as those kids continue to play in the offseason, they stay hungry, well, that now you're building a culture. Now you're building a team. So, you know, not that there, there are other teams in, in D3 that, that have good cultures, but Hopkinson, Hopkinson has built that now. So I, I, I would. I expect them to, to be right there again next year. All right, well, let's, uh, let's move on to the Division II game, the, the one that uh, you were probably most interested in on Saturday, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I think beforehand uh, you, you might have said to me that the key was going to be face-offs and, and how your defense played. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think face-offs probably didn't go the way you wanted them to. About um, 50-50, right around, right around there, maybe a little, le- maybe a little right. less. I, Lee battled to a 50-50 with, right. with Brahms, and then um, John got in there and scrapped and did what he could do. Um, but, it, you know, it, it was around 50-50, a little less than 50-50, but, you know, both teams had the ball. Um, but the, your defense, and you, you mentioned a, a guy, uh, Brian Schwab, stepped up, uh, took on Zadok White, kind of held him in check. I think he had two goal, two of the four I goals for Portsmouth. Yeah, I think that was our biggest question mark coming into the game is, you know, how do we defend this Portsmouth team where we didn't really get a fair chance the first time. We really didn't see what they were capable of. They were missing Caleb Begley. They were missing Zadok White at the time. So like we talked about early in the season, the score was kind of deceiving. You know, it made it look like it was a decisive blowout win for us when in reality they were going through a lot of adversity at the time. So, you know, I spent a lot of week breaking down film, talking to other coaches, you know, what would you do? How do you attack this thing? And every, you know, there were all kinds of ideas. You know, you got to triple pull. You got to triple pull their middies. You got to shut off Zadok. You got to, you got to put a pull on Ollie Allen. And you know, so I'm going through all these things in my head, like, okay, what, what's our game plan going to be? And finally, you know, it was the day before the game, and I'm watching practice, and I'm just, you know, I'm still going back and forth. And I look at Brian Schwab, and he played Zadok the year before, and was able to able to do a really good job on him. And I didn't realize at the time he was really upset. The first time when, when he was supposed to when we were supposed to play Portsmouth, we were not going to allow him to play Zadok. And he looked at me in practice and goes, "Coach, I want Zadok. I can beat him. I know I can shut him down." And I go, "All right, buddy. All right." And he goes, "No, I want <laughs> Zadok." And I just saw this look in his eye, and I was like, "All right, first quarter, we'll let we'll, we'll see, see what you what can happens. do. We'll see yeah. what, what yeah. you can do." And as the game went on, we could just tell, like, he had it. He, he was able to – he did a great job. Now, we played really good team defense. We slid early. We were able to recover, you know. And so, um, yeah, that to me, that was the key for us is, is shutting down their midfield, their midfield dodging ability. Um, and, and the kids did a great job of that early on. Um, like we said in the paper, I knew if we could hold them under six goals, we were going to have a real – regardless of zone or whatever tempo, 
we were going to we were going to find a way to put it in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, you you said afterwards that you only needed to win by one, and that's kind of what that felt like. That I mean, I know you you know it was a three. It wasn't game, a statement but game. It was not. It was it was about getting a job done and finding a way finding a way to win. And and I think the kids by taking that approach, it kind of took the pressure off too. It's like. Well, we we're not playing for style points. Like nobody nobody's looking at this and being like, "Oh, Derryfield didn't win by ten goals." Like it's like, you just want to hold the trophy at the end, you know. So you do whatever you got to do to win. And and so they they played loose and they played you know they played they played great defense and they played with confidence. You know, I know um, a lot of my colleagues afterwards were pointing out that two man uh, advantage that, that Portsmouth had that you guys were able to kill off is kind of what maybe sealed it, but I really thought it was earlier in that fourth quarter where they had scored late in the third to make it 5-4. You know, their crowd's getting into it. Yep. The players are getting into it. You guys had – it was just after you guys had had a stretch of close to four minutes of, of holding just the ball, yeah. holding the ball. Um, I thought they had picked up a lot of momentum. They picked, they won the faceoff, I think, to start the fourth. Yeah. Came right down. I don't remember if it was ex- right off the faceoff or not, um, and I – forgetting the guy's name of course he's probably going to feel better that i'm forgetting his name because he was right there alone um right outside the crease and had an open shot and then just the ball i think he kind of short-armed it for portsmouth or for For portsmouth yeah Yeah. ball went right by him your guys picked it up went right down the other end and scored right and instead of being five five and them really having the momentum it's six four and you guys are really in the driver's seat there yep um you know to me it was the end of the third quarter was disappointed. We were hoping, at worst, to go into the fourth quarter with a five-three lead, and you know we were playing for that. We were we were slowing it down. I said, fine. You know they want to sit in a zone. We'll wait. We'll hold for the last shot. And just as I had switched us back into our attack offense, we attacked maybe just a little too early. Turned the ball over. It goes down. All of a sudden it's five-four. And honestly, I was happy just to get out of that quarter with the lead and say okay we've won three quarters let's win the last quarter you know and um yeah that that sixth goal was huge um getting getting us a little bit of a comfort zone giving us a little bit of cushion and knowing that if they want to sit in a zone well we're up by two goals and we can you know we're going to make you come out and play us um so yeah that that was a big turn I, I agree that was a big turning point in the game the other thing that was funny about that is the two times we've been two men down was against Winnicunit and against Portsmouth, and both times the the guys have the guys have done a great job of sealing the game and, and um, causing a turnover. I mean, Brian Schwab was super, making me nervous, super aggressive coming out I, and, and, he, and did, playing he, guys. He got one. I of think those. he surprised. Yeah, I think he, well, he surprised them a couple times. A couple times, but he I think he was that aggressiveness led to one of those. Um, sort of a one it, of those. It wasn't penalty. a terrible wasn't, pass, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't right on the money, and it yeah. caused him to bobble it a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, high you know, risk, high reward. <laughs> You know, looking at that and and being in a game that close, I mean, you guys had two of them. You mentioned the Winnicottic game was a two-goal game. This is a three-goal game. I mean, how did how did you think your guys handled that? I mean, because I don't want to say you guys were, you know, get up and down the field and get out in transition kind of team. At times you were, um, but you were scoring right. a lot, you know. Yep. How, how did they kind of handle that, maybe having to be more patient? I think uh, I think they just understood that had it been a regular season game, it might have been more frustrating. But I think being a playoff game, they kind of understood. Well, this is it. This is the finale. Of it. it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. We've just got to win the game by one or two goals, and let's just let's stay calm. Let's do what we got to do, and and come out on top at the end. So they were they were fine with it. Um, 
you know, hats off to Portsmouth. It was a great game plan. They won face-offs. They played really good defense. Um, you know, Oscar made some incredible saves. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, I thought my goalie made some made some really key saves in that game too. Avery Avery did a wonderful job of, of making some stops at times. I thought the other thing, you know, the, the refs the refs um, they called it a little bit tight at times, and there were a couple times where we could have gotten out in transition, and all of a sudden there was a holding penalty or an interference penalty, or something that that stopped us from really breaking that game open so but that's just the way the game went and the kids rolled with it and we said we can't control the way in which the refs are gonna the refs are gonna call the game we've just got to adjust to it uh, that was kind of the uh, the the I guess different scenario you know setup for me normally I, you know if I'm covering one game I'm down on the field the whole time but because it was back to back to back like that I spent the first half of the d2 game and the d1 game up in the press box you know trying to work on some stuff from the previous games so I get to hear plenty of what the uh, the parents thought of uh, <laughs> from, both, from both sides of both games, um, and I I kind of remember hearing parents from both sides yelling about it being a little bit tighter, you know, yeah. kind of things like oh that's how it's going to be today, kind of. And whenever yells, it's whenever yeah. it's not called in your favor, of course everybody thinks that you know it's being slanted one way or another. But I've just I've told the kids all season that we just need to adjust to the way it's being called, and if we do that, we still have to make stops make saves and put the ball in the back of the net make stops and if you do that the refs can't change that, that there's no there's nothing that the refs are going to do that or change that so we just have to play better and so they did it was frustrating at first but then they they adjusted to it you, you look at um you know your yourselves dairy field portsmouth has some good kids coming back next mm -hmm. year um hollis i think loses a little bit but but has Dover, some good Dover's kids. Got Dover's a great got a lineup coming back. You know, so who do you think, looking at that, maybe is the team? I mean, obviously you guys are going to be talked about because you're yep. the defending champs, but who else should be? I mean, Portsmouth's short of, so they lose Oscar and Nett, so mm -hmm. they've got to replace, right. you know, and I'm sure they've got I'm sure they've got a capable goalie coming up. Um, you know, if they can do that, man, you know, you, you put Zadok White, Ollie Allen, uh, uh, Cole Brahms as a junior, that attack line that was a little green is now a year older. You know they're going to be they're going to be a team a force to reckon with. Dover really doesn't lose a lot. They lose you know they lose a, a midfielder in Dylan Russell who was a, a big part of that, but they still return their faceoff guy in Cam Lent. Uh, their entire attack line comes back: Justin Kalizzi, Dom Silverio. Um, you know they're they're going to be a very they're going to be a very difficult team to deal with again. So I I would expect those two teams to be up there. Um, you know I'm going to work my butt off to try and make sure Derryfield's still up there next year. We we lose some guys, but we were a young team too, so um, I expect us to be in the mix. Um, you know, and then I think um, I think a team like like Wyndham. I think Hollis will always be in the mix just because of their just because of their youth program. St. Thomas was a little bit young this year, and they're gonna they'll they'll grow. Um, I would expect Winnicunit to rebound and and be up there. Keen is the team that I would keep my eye on. They they don't lose a whole lot, and they were a very dangerous team this year. So short of kids, you know, going to private schools or moving away from town or you know unforeseen injuries, I, I think Keen could be a, a top four, top six team next year. Um, very very dangerous program. Be certainly interesting to see, and uh, fortunately we just have to wait, you know, ten months, nine or ten months to see yeah. what ends up happening. Um, and finally, the uh, the Division One game that kind of carried on the trend of what's happened 
in uh, I guess the last ten years or so when regular when Pinkerton, season versus, versus <laughs> regular the season means wins. next yep. to pretty much nothing when when Pinkerton and BG play uh, in a championship game. Uh, of course, Pinkerton won during the regular season, uh, and I think the fifth time fifth time out of the last six that they've met in the final, the team that lost in the regular season ends up winning the championship, yep. and you know for the fir- most for that first half, you know it's a a back and forth game. Pinkerton takes a 6-4 lead. It's 6-5 going into well even before that. BG came out and got those two quick goals two and it's 2 nothing and I I'm sitting there thinking wow. 2 nothing Cameron brothers. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the second of which um Sean Cameron's that goal was a that sting. was Whoa. I Holy saw God. that I, again I was up in the press box watching that and I probably had a better angle at it than if I'd been down on the field and I like uh, that my jaw dropped on that. I mean he had one. He had one in the fourth quarter too, where he got his hands free and absolutely. I mean, for a kid who can't weigh more than 140 pounds soaking wet, man, can he get some velocity behind that ball? I, by by that point, I was too busy swatting mosquitoes, and, and <laughs> <laughs> I know I took notes on it, but I, I, you know, I can't recall what that that looked like because I had too busy, you know. You know, to me, the biggest difference in that game is just the the volume of BG offensive players that got involved in the game. Brennan McGinnis, right. Johnny yep. Bruno, um, just so much more diversity in who touched the ball there was more movement that the there were more uh team plays involved you know brian obviously was a huge part of that game set the tone early on yeah. you know with the first goal of the game and, and made made pinkerton respect and and, and see that yep brian's going to be able to turn the corner and, and put the ball in the back of the net and once he did that all the other kids were able to get involved and that, that was the biggest change to me oh it was it was completely different from the regular season when you know, if they even got the ball, it was, you know, Brian gets it and holds it for a good two, three minutes trying to find somebody open. And the big, di- and he, like, the difference was that someone got open on Saturday. Uh, but, you know, like we're saying, it gets to be 2 nothing, And then I'm wondering what's going to, you know, how's Pinkerton going to respond? And they responded just fine with, you know, yep. came back and scored three straight. It gets 3-2. Uh, I thought we were going to have a pretty, you know, that the, f- the second half was going to be a lot like that, especially when it started out. I mean, BG didn't tie that game until a good four minutes in. Right. To me, though, once they did tie that game, you know, Trahan controlling the faceoff circle really, really changed the tide of that game, and just it, it didn't allow. You know, I was sitting, I was sitting closer over towards the Pinkerton section, and and some of the parents were like, "Man, we got to do something here. We just can't get the ball." And it, that really was true. I mean, once they started going on a roll. They, they could not win a faceoff at that point. Um, you know, and Nathan has a, a very bright future. He's going to be one of the dominant faceoff guys there. But you, you've got a freshman going up against a senior. And, you know, it's just that was a very difficult situation on a very big stage. And, and Trahan did what he needed to do that day. You know, just a, um, you know, that in general, that you've got Nathan Li- Liberty taking faceoffs for them all year as a freshman. Uh, Chad Tereski, freshman, Mason Druin, freshman, playing right, big roles, sophomore. sophomore. You, I mean, just that those guys were able to kind of get this team to that point. And I know they have some, you know, talented other players, Chris Valentine yep. uh, on defense, you know, uh, I, I'm forgetting his name now, but Alex Sturgis in goal, uh, you know, Ryan, uh, Ryan Albrecht, Albrecht uh, on yep. defense, you know, some really great kids. Uh, but the, to look and see that that core of – freshmen sophomores you know was able to get them to the point they got this year is kind of scary i think for the rest of the division yeah i mean you need jacob mcadams owen mccormick like they've got some they've got a they've got a sophomore and freshman core 
that are going to be together for the next couple of years that are going to be uh, a really, really strong nucleus to build around Tom Sweeney. Um, you know, this is a team that isn't going away. Neither is BG. But and the thing is, though, is if you look at the rest of Division One too, I mean, there were a lot of good teams this year that are, are returning mm -hmm. a good chunk of their teams. Uh, not to, I, you know, whether that means they catch up or not, obviously will be, a, you know, it depends on how the next year goes, I guess. To me, watching that game, the biggest difference was uh, Pinkerton was a little bit more play-driven where BG was a little more free-flowing and unpredictable. I think, I think as the Pinkerton kids grow and develop on offense, they're going to be very difficult. When they start playing with creativity and they just know where each other are and they build that chemistry, that's something that's very difficult to scout. When you're, when you're a little bit more play-driven, when you're a little bit more you know, dictated by what the coach is calling out, that's a little bit easier from a defensive standpoint to stop. But, I, man, I am just looking at their lineup and what they bring back from, from year to year. They're, they're going to be very difficult to stop in the coming years because those kids, I mean, that's a, that's a lacrosse rich town, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're going to be working hard over the next couple of years to make sure that they get a title back there. So is it, will it be just as likely then in, in 2018 that we're talking about BG Pinkerton 6, I think, is the, uh, would be the years in a row, uh, and, and 9 or 10 overall? I think I think next year it's a fairly good bet. I mean, if you were if Vegas was putting odds on it right now, I think they would be the two favorites to get back there. The team that I I'm curious to watch over the next couple of years is Exeter. Exeter has a tremendous seventh and eighth grade team, a U15 team right now. That if those kids all end up at Exeter, if they don't go off to prep schools or wherever, they're going to be they're going to be a team to watch in the in the next couple of years. Um, you know. Coach Holly does a great job of energizing his kids. To me, at the D1 level, you know, uh, you know, hats off to Coach Le LeBlanc and, and what he did at Londonderry this year. But but Coach Holly could have easily been Coach of the Year with what he did with with his kids at Exeter. You know, arguably a down year for him. Not much, you know, other than Penna, not a tremendous amount of offensive weapons. Um, Orifici, Finnerty, Vote, Net. Those guys are all young. They're they're going to be a good team on the rise over the next couple of years. Um, so yeah, that there, uh, you mentioned uh, Voigt, Is that how you say it? Yep. Uh, their goalie. I mean, he was is what a freshman. A freshman. I oh mean, my he, god. He the played, job he did this year was played very well against BG. I mean, yeah. it's one of those ones. I know they gave up seventeen goals, but early in that game, he was but he was on top. That was a game of that it. was deceiving. Like I didn't even know. I I only saw the final score. We were playing that night too, and I looked on Twitter and I go, oh, okay, seventeen seven, whatever. I didn't realize how close it was and what a tremendous job they did all the way through that game and then it just you know the floodgates away, open yeah. got away from yeah. it a little bit um but that was a very competitive game uh of course this uh this past tuesday the final uh new hampshire coaches poll uh came out of which you and i are both voting on uh if anyone don't hasn't seen that, that yet don't oh i'm not supposed to oh, mention yes, that well, now i'm gonna get hate mail <laughs> I, am i the only one that wasn't getting hate <laughs> mail or getting any kind of feedback on this uh, this year i hear i you know i've been hearing it from from other people that they're getting, you know, they're, that, that it's being talked about, but no one said anything to me. Um, it's, of course, BG ending the season at number one after, you know, uh, knocking off Pinkerton in the final, Pinkerton coming in at number two, Derryfield up at number three, 20-0, uh, perfect season. Bedford uh, climbs up to number four, or excuse me, they and were at well, number four. Well-deserved. Well I mean, the way, that, the way that Coach Gerard got his guys to respond and, you know, after early season – not having all of his lineup there and having to build chemistry, 
even though they finished at 12 and seven, I mean, that's that that record doesn't indicate how how well they were playing at the end of the season with with close games with Pinkerton. I mean, that was a <laughs> if I'm Coach O'Reilly, that was not the matchup I wanted in the playoffs. No, no, absolutely not. Of course, they had a couple overtime losses too. That yep. you know, something breaks a different way, and we're you know talking about them being a you know 13 and three team or whatever yep. whatever it adds up to. Uh, Exeter off uh, coming off its semifinal appearance up at fi at number five in Londonderry, who lost to Exeter in the quarters. Yep. At coach six. of the coach of the year, Sean LeBlanc did a did a tremendous job with those guys. Um, you know, and that's a team that every year with his leadership is, is you know, going to be on the rise and, and great feeder program there. So they'll be they'll be one to contend in the next couple of years, too. Portsmouth uh, coming off the, the tight D2 title game moves up to seventh. Uh, Concord coming in at eight. Dover dropping to nine after falling to Portsmouth in the semifinals there. And then Sauhegan rounding out the top ten. Uh, also getting votes were uh, Hopkinton, uh, yep. the D3 champs. And then Hanover coming in you there know, too. Again, another another coach, Ryan Gardner, up in up in Hanover, just doing a great job with his program. You know, when he took that thing over, that the youth program had dried up, and and you know the way he's motivated and gotten kids out, he's getting the athletes out again. So um, that's another program. I mean, D D one, while it still looks top heavy with, with Pinkerton and and BG, there are going to be teams on the rise over the next couple of years. The, the gap, I think, isn't going to be as big between one and two and three through eight next yep. year. Yep. Uh, it may not show at the end of the year, but during the year, I think it'll be a little bit more interesting. I think the tide is turning over the next couple of years, and you're going to see it's going to be a super competitive D1 over the next couple of years. Yeah. Uh, of course, this was the first season uh, that the coaches poll existed. Uh, aside from any hate mail that you might have received, did any other feedback from anyone on uh, on this little experiment here? No, I think it was a lot of fun, and I think uh, it spurred great conversations between, between fans and coaches and players and just um, – you know, really, really good thing for our state, and um, just a lot of, a lot of fun. So. And uh, season may be over. Uh, we may be finishing up the podcast, but I still got a few things to wrap up uh, over the next week or so. Still working on a few uh, follow-up stories to the championship games. If you want to check those out at nh-highschoolsports.com, we'll also be uh, posting maybe some changes. You know, that that if the NHIA ever actually reads the site, uh, that they they might. You know, maybe you know if they want to, they want to call me or email me. You know, to talk about, I'd be be more than happy to uh, to share with them. Uh, also, a few uh, a look ahead as we were just doing a little bit to you know what what potentially could happen next year, who the favorites might be, and uh, I'll also be putting together my own uh, all state team version, both boys and girls. Uh, mix of how all true three are you divisions. gonna be that? You going three attack men? How many mids? What I, you, you know, you I was do? looking at it today, and at first I was just gonna do. I, I'm, I'm gonna. It's gonna be a total of twelve okay. on each each team. Um, so, so a first team, a so second team, first team, second team, and a third team. Twelve on each one. Um, I like that. Three, three, and three, and then a goalie, uh, LSM, and a faceoff guy on each on each team. I don't know about the girls yet. I haven't actually. Yep. Figured that one out. Someone will have to send me the all-state teams first so I can kind of, uh, you know, go off that a little bit. That I, I, think, you should do, I think you should I do a blind. You saw do an awful blind. lot. You should do an, You saw an awful lot of games this year. I, I think. I think you should go. I think you should go off of what you saw this year. Little, well, then you know. Then all, all <laughs> apologies then to the kids from, uh, you know, from Keene and Dover and, and Kennet or you know, right, wherever right. you know that I didn't get the chance to see. Uh, once we, you know, maybe when when all the games are uh, streaming. On, uh, oh, maybe I'll maybe I can do that someday. There you go. Who knows? Uh, 
Now I'm getting way ahead. Save of the coaches a lot of travel. We could uh, we could post all our game films up there. Well, you use, uh, we can do what all the football coaches do and get on, get everybody on huddle and can all uh, trade film and, and yep. I can sit at home yep. and you know watch lacrosse games. There'd be, a, there'd be a lot of lacrosse wives that'd be happy for that. I can think of one wife that wouldn't <laughs> be happy if I started doing that. Uh, but once again, thank you. Uh, thanks to Coach Hetler for joining me throughout the season. Uh, really appreciate all of your insights and your help with all this. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I know I have. Joe, it's been a lot of fun and uh, already looking forward to next year and hopefully we get to do it again. For Coach, uh, this is Joe Marcellina and hope everyone has a great and safe summer and we'll talk to you again somewhere down the line.